Hello and welcome to our podcast, What Makes Them Tip? Innovations that change everything, where we hear from business leaders and entrepreneurs about the moment, insight, or inspiration that made everything possible and ultimately pushed them over the tipping point. I'm Mike Strada, founder and CEO of Arcalea, where we inspire business change by introducing data science, formal analytics, and provide implementation from marketing. Moneyball for growth-oriented businesses, we say success is now a science. Stay with us, and at the end of the show, we'll share how you can be the next guest on one of the fastest-growing podcasts in the industry. And with that, let's get started. Hello, and welcome to What Makes Them Tip, innovations that changed everything. I'm Jeff, and once again, I have the privilege of talking to amazing people who are truly innovating in their particular entrepreneurial space, and we get to hear their stories. Now, today's guest has been involved in the security industry for much of his career, and since the company's inception, has served as the chief operating officer of OPS Security Group. Now the president, he's continuing his drive to improve private security through implementing the latest tech and superior personnel. Please welcome Mitch Geiger. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate you having me on, man. Oh, we're grateful that you took the time. Listen, uh, we want to know exactly what OPS Security Group does. And I know it's a lot of things, uh, but just if you could give us that uh, that overview, give us an idea of what you do there. Uh, so uh, very succinctly, we are a premium security guard services company. Uh, we are headquartered in Philadelphia and operate uh, through New Jersey, all of PA, even out to Pittsburgh. Um, as well as uh, Maryland, Delaware, uh, Virginia, and D.C. Awesome. And so you guys literally offer everything from uh, consulting on uh, just basic security guard, but you go through all kinds of emergency situations and things like that, right? Yeah, we the, the list of services that we have and, and we offer range anywhere from traditional security guard services for commercial real estate. Uh, through uh, event security, virtual concierge, uh, consulting, private investigative services, and close protection or executive protection services. Yeah. And what, so, and you provide this for um, businesses. What, let me talk about uh, what kind of, what are some tips that businesses need to know from a security standpoint? Um, Right now, you guys have been in the business for, I mean, you've been running this company for almost 10 years, right? Or a little bit longer than that? Yeah, so we're on year nine. Uh, I've been in the industry for about 15. Yeah. And so for uh, how I can't imagine that it's the same as it was 10 years ago because so many things have changed. We've we've obviously we've dealt with many more kind of emergency situations in the last decade or so that weren't an issue, you know, even even 20 years ago. Um, what do you think businesses should be really thinking about right now when it comes to security? Uh, so one of the the most important conversations that we have, and you know, I, I understand it's hard, you know, having big items on my PL too. Security guard services are usually one of the largest items on our customers' PL. And their desire to get the best price might not always represent the best value. So really considering who you are in your market, what your brand stands for, what it values, and why your customers end up selecting or, or using your services or buying goods from you. 
um, should really be part of the discussion around what should security guard services look like? What should our program feel like? How should they interact with our customers, our employees, our end users? And how does that play into who we are as a brand? Yeah. And you guys, uh, you mentioned some different service areas that you guys offer. Are there licensures that you need to have in order to provide those kind of services in other states? Is that kind of how that works? So, uh, and it's never a fun thing. There is no reciprocity uh, from state to state uh, for the type of business license that we need. Uh, But yeah, there's a company license in every state. Uh, Some states actually have two licenses one to provide security guard services, the other to provide private investigative services. And then most states, not all, but most, uh, the employees doing the work are also required to go through a certification and licensing class and obtain a, usually it's an identification card that says they passed XYZ certification and they're legally allowed to do this kind of work. Yeah. And you and your partner founded this company. So tell me a little bit about what you were doing Prior to that, now, obviously, you've been working in security for quite some time. So tell me a little bit about your experience leading into the starting this business. So I was fortunate or unfortunate to graduate college in 2009. Mm. Uh, so not uh, a whole lot of jobs, despite the hundreds that I applied for and the, the three interviews I actually got. Uh, so I, I was a little too proud to go home. And I got a job just to pay my measly $500 a month rent. And that happened to be working as a security guard. And then over the past or over the next four and a half, five years, I got promoted a few times and uh, ended up as the director of operations for a smaller local company with about 150, 200 employees um, and got to a point where I thought I could do a better job. So I was young enough where it made sense. And I stepped out. And uh, luckily, my partner, I had known for probably six or seven years prior to us starting this. Uh, So we had a few conversations, uh, started working in the summer of 2012. And then officially, I left my job in January of 13. Interesting. And so what, what had you gone to school for previously? Uh, so I was a psychology major at Drexel, and I was working in market research for pharma, mm. and the pharma industry took a massive hit. There was a lot of consolidation and acquisition, um, so there really wasn't any jobs, and you know I would never have thought ending up in security would have been a likely outcome, but nevertheless, here I stand, and that psychology degree probably came in a lot more handy than I would have thought eight years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I mean, I would imagine that that's still something that you would call on, right. A little bit in in this type of business. Um, But then you went uh, back to school and got a master's in Homeland security. It says on your LinkedIn, tell me what's involved in that particular type of education. Uh, So that was a very interesting program that I went through at St. Joe's uh, really revolving around, not just, the physical elements of security, but really the business elements of um, how you do strategic planning for public safety, um, how you look at and evaluate threats and hazards, how you put together 
um, comprehensive assessments. Uh, there was a lot that went into it, um, and we had a great group of professors uh, from a lot of different walks of life, everyone from uh, the head of risk management for a national insurance company to uh, retired chief inspector of the Philadelphia Police Department. Wow. So that sounds like it would be very interesting. And it obviously give you a, a much broader perspective on the whole idea of security and the theory behind it and stuff like that. So, exactly. and so then you and your partner decided to set out on your own. Tell me a little bit about trying to go to market and how did you guys kind of set yourselves apart to, to establish credibility early on? Uh, so one of the things that has plagued our industry for probably the better part of almost 30 years now is it's been just to, to, to the degree that you can commoditize a service performed by people, uh, it's been commoditized. Uh, mm -hmm. Most companies compete on price, uh, which in turn has created perceptions on the customer's end of what they should be paying versus what they actually want or need. And we thought, what would it look like to not compete on price, just come out of the gate as being more expensive, acknowledging it up front, and really speak to why that matters, why they should care, and where and how we deliver value outside of just being the lowest priced option. Yeah, so it's the old adage, you get what you pay for, right? Exactly. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what you um, what it is that you guys offer that does kind of make the difference. That um, How do you... I guess, how do you, how have you innovated in order to kind of stay ahead of the competition in that area? Yeah, so the, the biggest challenge that ended up occurring in our industry because of the constant competition uh, around price, you know, when labor makes up 60 to 70% of your bill rate and you need to compress your bill rate, you really can't take it from many places. Mm -hmm. uh, you got one option and that's employee wages. And that's why if you look at employee wages over those 30 years, they've remained relatively stagnant. They haven't even really kept up with anywhere close to inflation. Um, and so it was kind of a gamble because we just started, we didn't have a whole lot of money. And we thought, what would it look like to actually pay people as close to or an actual livable wage with real comprehensive benefits, right? Benefits is another issue in my industry. Uh, where a lot of companies like to say they offer them, and they do, but they also work to gain the system to keep people below the thresholds uh, mm. so they don't qualify, right? So someone might look at a given deal that you can do with, let's say, five full-time employees, and they might put a team of eight part-timers together so they don't actually have to offer any benefits, Um there's so a lot of companies that don't offer paid time off. There's a lot of like, you know, it just I think benefits that you would find in most most other industries, you just don't really find in our industry. Mm. And even if they exist, they're completely non-affordable, right? How does someone making $15 an hour afford a monthly health insurance premium that's $350? Yeah. I just don't see how that works. And, and so... I guess the, the biggest difference is we care about our customers, but we care about our employees first because we care about our customers. Right. Well, I would imagine with, especially in, in a, in a role like security, the, the amount of access that an employee would have to your client's information, to their 
business and everything, obviously uh, employee engagement and employee culture is important. So making sure that they're they're well-paid and happy has got to be one of the top things on your list. Oh, it does. I mean, that's why turnover rates in my industry are terrible, right? Turnover industry, uh, turnover rates in, in the security guard services world uh, are probably 70 to 150% annually. Yeah. They're, they're turning an entire workforce every year. Wow. Very expensive in and of itself. And I can only imagine what it does to customer retention, customer satisfaction, employee engagement. It's, it's, they're all abysmal. Yeah. So do you guys find that your employee retention is better because of the, the differences that you guys uh, and the, the emphasis that you guys put in on employee engagement? Yeah. So our, uh, for 2020, our retention rate uh, was like 73 and a half percent. So we turned 26 and a half percent of the workforce, mm-hmm. which I don't think is it's it's really good compared to the industry. I think there's a lot of, of room to grow there. Sure, sure. Um, so tell me a little bit about kind of the business side and how you guys have have focused on growth and you know, kind of attracting new clients? Uh, so growth's been interesting. Uh, we've probably, average year-over-year growth has probably been like 30 to 40% since we started. Um, and then most recently, uh, this year we'll probably do about 75 to 85% year-over-year growth compared to 20. Um, and it's not because the COVID affected us. It just didn't affect us from a financial revenue perspective. Hmm. Um, so, uh, and a lot of that just has to do with our sophistication, our level of understanding, or the, the degree to which we care and try to understand really the two most important key stakeholder groups, and that's employees and customers. Yeah. So you, you mentioned that 2020 didn't affect you in that respect. In what ways did it affect your industry? Uh, so it affected, uh, you know, we're a, a people heavy business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, when we have people going out for two weeks at a time because of exposure to COVID, um, and then, you know, paying for, for that, uh, plus finding people to backfill, you know, I think our, our overtime was two and a half times what it was in 19. Yeah. Uh, we doubled the size of our recruiting department to essentially just maintain uh, new hire volume. Wow. What, what is your, um, you, your approach to, I guess, and, and, you know, I mean, you just, you went from chief operating officer, which was obviously overseeing lots of teams, I assume, and lots of uh, individual kind of contributors. And now as the president, uh, how has your role changed? If any, like, what's the, what are the different things that you're taking on now that maybe you didn't when you were COO? Great, great question. I hadn't really thought much about it. Uh, but in all honesty, I consolidated some departments. I have a few less direct reports. And so, uh, you know, I think the main difference for me is it's way less tactical and much more strategic, hmm. um, not just around our planning and what that looks like and how I help and support the different departments and my leadership team. Um, but just being exceptionally purposeful around what our culture looks like and, and feels like, 
and also ensuring that we are living up to our values and that we say we believe. Yeah. Over the years, what kind of changes in technology in order to provide this type of service have you guys had to kind of adopt or innovate? Yes. I mean, it's, it all starts out in the same way. Uh, uh, paper, Excel, and like uh, Google Sheets or, you know, a, a Google Doc. Uh, and it's grown since then, you know, everything from, you know, having uh, shared storage to the actual uh, HRIS systems, the ACA compliance work that we have to do, um, our payroll system. Uh, I, I spent three years, we built our own workforce management system that does uh, scheduling, time cards, it tracks certifications, um, and does a lot of other really cool stuff that, that's applicable. But uh, we probably experimented with four or five different vendors that do it, didn't like any, and just thought it'd be easier to build our own that we could make changes and, and grow it as, as we need, as, as our needs change. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about that process then. So you went through some RFPs with some other companies and then decided, so did you like hire in developers? Like how did, how did you end up deciding to go it, go it alone in that process? Yeah, so the, the last look that we did, we went back out to market, talked to like five different companies and just really didn't like what we saw. There were some that did a pretty good job but then I was like, you know, I wonder what it costs to build my own. Mm. And so I had, I have a few friends that work in that space. Uh, one of my close friends, uh, he owns a software development company here in Philly. And so him and I were just uh, talking over drinks. I brought it up and he was like, you know, I think it might be worthwhile just to scope it and, and see what it actually would cost you. Because what you're talking about paying over the next three years, yeah, it might be a little bit more expensive year one. But your ROI might be there by year like two and a half. Yeah. Which, have, did you experience that? Or how long ago did you implement this? Uh, so we started the project about three years ago. Uh, uh, we implemented it about 18 months ago and have continued developing it. So I don't necessarily have realized ROI, but I have a system that works really well for our needs. Mm-hmm. And I've just been evolving uh, through different features like uh, a customer login portal. You know, transparency is a big issue in my industry from the actual provider to the end user or the end paying user. Mm -hmm. um, and so we wanted to see what it would look like if customers could uh, actually access the schedule for their location, see any incident reports, see all the like see all of it themselves without having to request it. And so that's that's one thing that we're almost done now. Um, and then really gearing it towards employees. I think that was probably our fundamental challenge with all the off-the-shelf systems is that they're built and designed to be sold to someone in an, in an administrative role. Mm -hmm. who's the decision maker. But what that really neglects is that your real end user is your frontline employees that are using it every single day. Right. So it might look super attractive to an administrator, but how does it look to the actual frontline employees that have to engage with it every single day in a much different way than an administrator does? 
Yeah. And so, so doing something homegrown has helped you get that. That's pretty, that's pretty great. Yeah. So, so we so, started with that, that employee experience uh, on the employee interface and went from there instead of the other way. Wow. So tell me uh, a little bit about whether, what, and maybe we've touched on some of that already And this, like you, in implementing this software probably was a kind of a tipping point to allow you guys to become more streamlined. Were there any other, I guess, tipping points in the, in your almost 10 year uh, history of this company now that you can kind of look back and say, yeah, this was when things changed for us and we really started seeing success. Um, so the, probably the one point that really made a, a big difference is we decided to create consensus around who we were as a company and what that meant and how that informs what we choose to do and, and the ultimate decisions that we make, right? And, and just agreeing, especially as a leadership team, that we need to be exceptionally purposeful at walking that out on a daily basis. Yeah. And what does the future look like for, for uh, the company? What do you, what are you guys uh, envisioning for the next 10 years? Uh, so I, you know, I don't want to say just more of the same, but, you know, part of who we are um, is to really lead the way in, in caring for compensating and, and offering careers to our employees. Yeah. Um, and so it's not a, a selfish desire for growth, but I feel that comp- that employees are extremely undervalued in my space for their contributions and the work that they're doing. And so it's really just finding a way to be able to offer careers that actually have real possibilities and where people feel actually supported and are engaged and enjoy showing up every day um, and kind of change what I'll call the proverbial stigma that's attached to security guards in general. You know, I, I ask, I'll, I'll ask you this question because I ask most people, right? Yeah. Uh, when's the last time that, and it's probably a long time right now, when's the last time you walked into like a high rise office building and there was a security guard sitting at the front desk? Uh, well, I haven't been in many high rises <laughs> in a while, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, we have a security guard at, at my full-time job that I do, um, but I, I really only ever see their car. <laughs> in the parking lot. I don't, they're, they're somewhere on the campus, but I don't, they're not at our front desk. Yeah. So, and, and that's either positive nor negative, right? And the, the really sure. follow-up question to that is, you know, when's the last time you had a negative interaction? Mm. And most people usually have one right off the top of their head, you know, from yesterday, if, it wouldn't, if we wouldn't have lived through COVID here. Yeah. Um, and I ask them, when's the last time you had a positive interaction? And most people can't remember a time that that actually occurred. Yeah. And you're, so you guys are striving to change that. So, and because of that, there's a, a large negative connotation in the general public's perception mm-hmm. around the value and service that security guards offer because they just don't have good experiences because their employers and the companies that hire them don't value them to the degree they want them to meet the expectations that are outlined. Yeah. What, uh, before I let you go, I want to make sure that you have a chance to tell everybody where your website is, how they can get more information, uh, and to, to contact you. Oh yeah. So, uh, you can find us online, um, opssecuritygroup.com. Uh, you can look us up on, on LinkedIn, Facebook, 
Uh, Instagram, all same thing. OPS Security Group, there should only be one. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Thank you so much for being on the show and sharing this with us. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it, man. And we thank you for listening to another episode of What Makes Them Tip, Innovations That Changed Everything. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to our show, What Makes Them Tip, Innovations That Changed Everything. If you're an entrepreneurial leader and you'd like to share the inspiration that changed everything in your business or venture, please visit arcalea.com slash guest and a small request. If you've liked this interview, please help us out by sharing this episode with a friend or on social with the hashtag Arcalea. You can also help us out right now by providing a review in your podcast player and a thumbs up or rating review would help a ton. We promise to read every word and it helps us improve a little bit each day. And while you're at it, please also subscribe because every week you're going to be inspired and learn from other leaders in bite-sized increments. Again, my name is Mike Strada. Let's connect either on social or stay up to date on all things business at arcalea.com. Thanks again for listening and thank you for being part of the over 99% of America's firms that make up the entrepreneurial community. Until next time.